This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Didn't know that. What do you know? Eat it. <laughs> it's time to do that sort of thing. Um, because it is the afternoon here on 3 Triple RFM. Big thanks to the scientists, as always, for their erudition. Yes, for the last hour. Hold the phone. Who's Wait, that? Here's a strange voice. Hold the phone. It's uh, a man known as uh, the Grand <laughs> Chef de Cuisine, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. His name's Matt Stedman. He's been uh, producing the show for a couple footy seasons now. Just a few. And uh, now to be renamed as the Gourmet Traveller. I've been everywhere, man. Man. Where you been? I've been... I had an odd... And welcome back. Hi. It's It's, good to see you. And it's good to be here. Good to see your smiling face, as always. I had um, a very lucky combination of both just uh, holiday and travel for work, which saw me in both Vietnam, Mm. the holiday part. Vietnam. Yes. Potentially less believable, Las Vegas for work. And you went to a conference that you said was bigger than porn. Yes, it was bigger than porn. <laughs> we might contextualise that uh, before the show. I think no. I think we should maybe contextualise that immediately. <laughs> so, well, yes. Yeah, so it's a, it's a trade convention over there with over a hundred thousand attendees, which is the second largest convention they have every year in Vegas, which is bigger than any other convention, including the Microsoft convention or the porn convention or whatever yes. it is. Which are the ones that you expected the really really huge ones? And you I, would. Was, I, I said, wow, that's surprising. Uh, what field is this? Just come this on, we most for for. Uh, for t- TV and radio broadcast engineering. So, a yep. fairly dry topic, mm. but they fill the Las Vegas Convention Centre with... But some good gizmos. Thousands. Oh, drones huh? at 10 paces. Really? Oh, yeah. Drones everywhere. Yeah, I'll show you some photos after the, after really? the show. Oh, yeah. Oh, have a little look. So, yeah, because... Broadcast of, porn. Because of that, I, I missed an entire month in, in Melbourne. Yeah, what, what you've been I missed. missed. Is it being good? Um, well, it's probably a good thing right now to say um, a huge, huge thanks to the man who uh, yes. took your place, uh, Jed McCartney, who yes. oh, accolades to him because that's one of the things, great things about community radio is that you've got wonderful people that help out and give a damn and are there. Yes. And uh, Jed did a great job um, while, gone, while also doing a whole bunch of other shows. So, Jed, thank you very, very much. Thanks, Jed. But it is... Awesome mm-hmm. to have you here, and um, I'm kind of interested in just hearing a little bit about um, well the contrast because that is <laughs> such a contrast <laughs> to one of the greatest, most freshest, wonderful cuisines on the earth. And I'm not talking about no. the Americans, yes. <laughs> just in case anybody thought I was going down that track, no. Um, to uh, yeah, the, the Vietnam eating highlights, and then. Lost wages. I mean, Las Vegas. Um, the I don't know. I'm the just contract, thinking. Yeah. Supersize me and give me. Do you want more cheese with that? Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. We'll talk about that shortly. Though we, we will should say what's on the show today. Thank you. And uh, waiting in the wings in mm. the green room, uh, as is his want. Well, no, actually, we just suggested he did it, and he <laughs> said, "No, okay, I'll do that. I will." Um, <coughs> Nick Bennett, uh, mm. chef of the Arbury, uh, one of uh, one of Matt's favourite places. In I like the, so. If you've not been the Arbury, what is, is the Arbury? It's the big long place right on the river uh, next to Flinders Street Station, which has taken over a certain. Um, Apparently, <laughs> it's taken over the old Sand Ridge Rail platform. I just made the insufferable face at Matt. Yes, we, we we had a little consultant <laughs> as to whether it had taken over the platform. Anyway, Cam yeah. one, I was wrong. Ah. Uh, but it's a big, long place that seats, I think, 300, um, and one of the great people-watching spots of Melbourne, I would say to you. 
Yeah, and also one of the great views of uh, Melbourne looking across uh, the Yarra from north to south too. But anyway, mm. we're going to talk a little bit about, well, Nick, what makes him tick? How yes. did he get involved in this cooking thing? Um, <coughs> Good Beer Week is uh, looming. It's coming, <laughs> it's looming. riding like it's, the... It's lurking. The, the four brewers of the apocalypse are <laughs> approaching <laughs> Melbourne on their horses. Yes. Um, and um, there's going to be a good gig happening next Sunday, um, which I'm lucky enough to be a part of. You're going to be there. I'm going to be a part of. And uh, we've got some great chefs. But we're also going to talk a little bit about... Um, or some take-home information mm. for you about beer and food. What do we reckon works really, really well? Yes. So we're going to discuss that. And then mm. we've got uh, Hannah Dupre is mm. uh, in the uh, the green room. And she, of course, from Storm in a Teacup, her mastermind subject is Camellia sinensis, or the uh, plant that we get tea from. A mm. uh, couple of things. We wanted to talk a little bit about storing tea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also the very mm-hmm. fact that uh, the genome of tea has just been... Mapped or... Yeah, mapped. That's yeah. It. yeah you've, they've just mapped the genome of tea, and it's four times bigger than coffee. Really? Yeah, it's a lot of sequences. Yeah. I don't quite understand how that all works. No. But, um, and, or nor what that means. <clears throat> yeah, what are the ramifications of it? Um, some might think it's um, uh, the dawning of a new age. Um, some might think it's, uh, well, it's a frightening thing that uh, could lead to some bad stuff so the second wave of tea yeah the second wave <laughs> yeah good point spooky look <laughs> second thing of tea uh, all right so but before we get started on it i've got a uh, quote food mm-hmm. quote is um and it's a little bit poetic yes love is a fire of fame let me start that again <laughs> take two yeah he's lucky i'll take two do over <gasps> Love is a fire of flaming brandy upon a crepe Suzette. 10cc. Life is a minestrone. <laughs> From the song. There you go. Just thought uh, we'd do that. Don't uh, often play much 10cc on Triple R. No. Don't know why. No. Art for art's sake. That was good to me. Anyway, uh, we digress. Uh, today is mm-hmm. uh, St. George's Day. The Saint patron George. saint of shepherds and farmers. But that's very specific to one country. That's Bulgarian. The yep. Bulgarian I'm starting to think they're dishing out the same patronesies of saints to different states. I'm sure Farmers yep. comes up every four weeks and we go, oh, that's very hey, important. Hey, good on you. But that's Bulgarian Farmers. Yeah, that's right. the Bulgarians. Well, well, good luck to them. Yeah, good on you. I, I hope the harvest is good this year. Yep. Good luck with all that sort of stuff. Um, anything interesting happening on this day? No, not really. But tell us a little bit about um, what was your favourite dish you had overseas? Should we start? Well, we'll start with the easy side, which is Vietnam, which is just uh, in my first trip to Asia, I must uh, say. Is and it? Yes. Really? Yes. Um, and you went to Vietnam, what, five years ago? About four years ago four with years ago. an amazing group of people because they were all triple R listeners. And yes. I was, uh, um, I suppose you could say, gifted mm. the, uh, the, the triple R trip to host the trip. And it was an amazing experience. Well, I remember North when, to South. I remember when you came back because... I, I said, was oh, raving. how was Vietnam? And, and I could see it in your brain. You said, Vietnam was just, wow. It was, <laughs> it was just. Cam, you're speechless. You were struggling to find the words. And having yeah. now been there, I, I kind of understand it. Because everyone tells you, so we, st- we were in Ho Chi Minh City for the first part of the trip. So hmm. everyone tells you, oh, it's busy. Yes. Oh, there's lots of motorbikes. I've motorbikes. Everyone tells you all this sort of stuff. And but, walking and across the road for some is a challenge. It is a challenge. I got pretty good at it. Yeah, you do. It's I got easy. A little bit you, just, you, you have to be like uh, the water through the. 
through the stream. Flow around. Flow around the rock. But I absolutely agree with you because even though everyone tells you all these things, and I was even trying to take photos of how busy and videos of how busy it was, <laughs> doesn't, it doesn't work. No. Unless you're standing there and you go, this is busy. Is bu- I thought New York City was a busy city mm. until I went to Ho Chi Minh. This place is next level insane. It's just amazing. But it flows it better than New York, I think. There's a real order to it. There's order in chaos or chaos in order, which one of them beats yeah. the other. But it works beautifully. Yes. So um, we were lucky enough, actually, the first night we did a little, what they call it, like a back of the bike tour. So, because everyone gets around this town on uh, motorbikes or scooters. There's mm. eight million of them in, mm. in the city. It feels like they're all on the road at once. Yep. So um, that was our mode of transport for uh, being taken around different areas of the of the city with street food. And I think we had about 10 stops on that first night. So by the time we were really? done, we were like, oh, God, no more food. Yeah, stop it. But it was so good. As you say, it was just so fresh and clean because there's very little storage there. So everything has to be bought. And um, very little fast food. Yeah, very much so. There's a little bit of KFC. Yes. And, and there's a Burger King at the airport, or there was when, when I was there. And there are a couple of McDonald's. Oh, see, that's new. Yes. That's new. Because, um, of course, Ho Chi Minh is down the south, so it's the, the arguably more western of the two great cities of the country. So Yes, um, so a little bit of fast food, but no one, no one sort of eats there. There's a lot, a few Starbucks. Um, and our tour guide yes. said, uh, when the locals go to Starbucks, the first thing they do is take a selfie because they're at Starbucks paying American prices for <laughs> coffee, which, coffee, which is quite a novelty, right? Yes. Um, whereas when you know coffee and Vietnam's a country that does, the last thing you do is you, you don't go to like an American style coffee. You have a, a cafe duet, which is the, um, the iced coffee, which I think is one of the just such a, sensational adaptation of um, of European coffee. And I think that's one of the things that personifies the Vietnamese is the way that they can take things and adapt them to their own mm. uh, their own situation. And, and coffee in itself is such a great example because you get a pour-over of coffee, a Arabica, Robusta beans, mm-hmm. um, and then, yeah, you just you mix that with, um, with the condensed milk and ice in a highball glass and... When you're having a cup of coffee in the morning and it's, I don't know, 30 degrees and a million percent humidity, it just makes sense and it's awesome. We got moderately addicted to them. It's like, oh, yeah. No. Yeah. Um, and of course, the, the street food is a huge thing over in, in most areas of Vietnam. What's. St- Bolalop? Uh, no, I didn't actually. No, Bolalop. What's uh, strange is, what, one thing that's happening in Ho Chi Minh City, I think, is a little strange is the, um, the government's trying to sort of modernify the city a little bit. And one of the things they're doing is starting to crack down on uh, street stall traders. Especially no, they are, especially why? in the in the really touristy areas, which I think is a real shame. That's stupid. It is stupid. That's stupid, man. So, if, I mean, if you've not been, it's it's one of those classic sort of Vietnamese images where you have the little old lady with the with the pole and and yeah. the things at the end of the pole, and you've got the little red plastic chairs and. You know, she'll cook a little grill or something or other. You take that away because you take that's the whole essence of the place. Yeah, and they're trying to and move plus that the off smells, the, the smells of mm. um, the one thing. It's um, admittedly, it's you know not great coal that they put, <laughs> they put in their braziers. You know, um, to do this, this like a smell. So it reminds me of old briquettes. Yes, the yeah, smell absolutely. of briquettes um, uh, to cook food. That that gee, that's. Um, it's a bit sad. So they're trying to, in inverted commas, clean up the city, which to me sort of misses the point entirely. So a lot of those traders that were sort of on the street, just on the corner, mm. squatting with it, so they're now off and... Um, and those images of, say, Anthony Bourdain being delighted to be in Vietnam, sitting in a in a small stool eating, and it's incredible how comfortable yes. they are. Oh, they're great. And how comfortable it is to sit at that level. But uh, a lot of those traders are being sort of moved onto side streets and sort of away, especially in the touristy region. So if you go... Um, 
you know, in some of the outer districts, I think you'll still find a lot of good street food, which is excellent. Las Vegas. Contrast. Las Vegas. <laughs> Contrast, baby. I'm actually one of those people, um, I don't mind Las Vegas. It's an okay city, uh, especially if someone else is paying. It's an okay city in case, okay, good quote. If, if, okay. if, if you've got a reasonable bankroll, because it is, there is some excellent, excellent food in Las Vegas. If uh, you got the do re mi. Thomas Keller's got a restaurant there. Joel Robichon has a restaurant Robichon. there. Yes. Gordon Ramsay has about 800 different restaurants there, it feels like. Um, but it's have we reached Big Ramsay? I think we have. Anyway, that's, yeah, I think that's we have. Let's, yeah, yeah, go on. Yep. So my great example of, of Las Vegas is um, uh, one of my favorite sushi places in New York is, is Massa. I've never been to the mm-hmm. main restaurant, but a very famous restaurant. I've been to the bar because that's all I can afford in New York. So yes. uh, Massa's just opened a place in Las Vegas. And I thought, oh, I'll just oh, have a look at that. I'll swing past and Hello. have a look. Yeah. Have a look at the menu. Yes. Um, After I've just gone past the, the drone store. Yes. The drone shop. Yeah. Three pieces of sashimi. So tuna, fatty tuna. So we're talking nigri. So on no. Sashimi. No, sashimi. 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 Ah, sah. Mm, yes. Three pieces of tuna. Yeah. 38 US dollars. Holy Plus tips are, are, and tax. Are you talking bluefin, obviously? It's going to... Oh, I don't know. I didn't try it. No, it must be. You'd, you'd think it'd be the good stuff. For that well, price. Or the incredibly endangered stuff, depending on your viewpoint on tuna. That's very true. 38 bucks, wow. So, um, yeah, the top level, and, and Las Vegas is a town that does its restaurants almost in tiers. So you've got your top tier of dining. And so the people on the gambling floor. Oh, no, that's different tiers. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, you're gone. T-T-I-E-R. Oh, tiers, those yeah, tiers. Those yes, tiers. yes, right. I thought you about the tiers that are going on the, the gambling floor as people realise they've they've gambled away everything. everything. Yes, anyway, sorry. And the gambling is a... Ma- anyway, I won't get into the yeah, gambling. Let's not go there. But, yeah, um, yeah so if you, if you have the bankroll, the top tier of dining there is as good as anywhere in the world. Mm. Um, happily for those uh, mortals amongst us, uh, the mid-level of dining is is quite good too. So, is it passable or so, excellent? Uh, it's 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 more than passable. Mm. It's good. So, if you want a really good burger, you'll certainly find. Does Donald Trump have a taco bar there? He's got a big tower. Of course, he has. Which and looks, was, looks exactly like you would expect a Trump tower to look. It's it's this horrible gold. square thing. It is gold. Yeah, it's off strip, so it's nowhere near where anyone goes. It's got his name on it. Anyway, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Um, uh, just uh, we've got about I don't know, a little bit before we get on to mm. uh, Nick Bennett from the Arbury. Welcome mm. if you've just joined us here on Three Triple R. Uh, Matt's just telling us about his what I did on my uh, my and travails. my uh, my holiday food highlight for the whole thing. Um, oh, easily the street food in Vietnam. Which they want to uh, curtail, which is... Um, in Saigon, they do. It's a bit sad. Yeah, it seems weird. Mm. It seems weird. It's 12.17 here on 3 Triple RFM. It's autumn outside. Mm. It's nice and warm here in the studio. And uh, we're going to warm it up a little bit with um, talking about, well, getting back to that whole thing of beer and food and food and beer. On Triple R. We're gonna, we, uh, did, oh, but you're going to grunge it up a bit. We're going to grunge it up a little bit with yeah, some music. I like, hang on. This is... Um, uh, Matt sort of came to me and said, you know what? This sort of song doesn't make any sense on a really, really sunny, nice kind of day. But on an autumn day, that's a little bit overcast. Yeah. You know what? This rocks. Yeah. And I reckon you're going to love it too. Okay. Here it comes. Yeah, you know, Matty was saying before that, mm. um, you know, one of his favourite places, he was doing it sort of like the Julie Andrews. I was, which is quite rare for me. These are a few of my favourite things. Not quite in that sort of a voice, because that would have been a it, bit strange. It's one of our little Saturday traditions, though. If, if, if my dearly beloved and I need to pop into the city on a Saturday afternoon to do some shopping or whatever, mm. we normally just swing past the Arbury 
just for a quick little ale to ease into it. Well, how lucky is that? Mm. Because we happen to have the chef here, Nick Bennett, a very, very warm good afternoon to you. And welcome to Thank 3 Triple R. Good to have you here. Yeah, thanks very much. Nice to be here. Um, it's amazing that this place opened up and has pretty much become uh, an institution. Not quite overnight, but... Um, it's certainly held in great esteem by most Melburnians, the opera, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's good. It's been great success. How long has it been open for? So, two years. It's only two yeah, years. Yeah, just, well, just over two years. So, two years yeah. in um, uh, Feb, February. Yeah, and Maddie was also saying, God, I wish I had shares in that place yeah, too. Yeah, because it's <laughs> that busy all the time. It's just awesome. It's great. Mm. How on... First of all, you, food. How did this happen? What's going on there? Look, all my life I just wanted to be a chef. I don't know why. I mean, I really? can't. Yeah, never wanted to be remember, anything else. Do you remember the first time you th- sort of thought this and oh. what it was? I've got a photo of me when I was, I think, three. Three? <laughs> yeah, I know. That is young. It is, that yeah. Is <laughs> with a colander over a sink with a spoon. <laughs> so, really? Yeah, yeah. Wow. But, yeah, no, look, I, I think my parents um, sort of influenced me. Yes, to, to be a chef. So, and, and would they come from food as well? Or? They were both very keen, keen chefs. They weren't chefs, but very keen cooks. At, At home, home chefs. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And do you remember um, first cookbook or anything like that, or oh. first sort of, or even the first recipe that you I followed? Did get a cookbook from an auntie, but I can't remember the name of it. But yeah. it was yeah, it was a like first child's cookbook sort yeah, of thing. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was pretty cool. I had, I had a peanuts cookbook when I was young. That was that was kind of cool. Learned, learned to cook a few things there. But um, yeah. so you, you, you obviously you followed that dream. You yep. did you where have you cooked before you ended up on this incredibly long, long restaurant on Flinders Street or off Flinders Street, I should say. Yeah. So look, I, I started my apprenticeship on the Gold Coast. Yes. Uh, I did five years uh, at Royal Pines Resort. Yes, and that was that was my first job. I mean, I, I left school, started year eleven. Royal Pines is that like a golf course resort? Yeah, type it is. Thing? Yeah, yes. it's now RACV Club. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it was a great resort, a great place to do so training. We, so, was it a good? I, I would imagine if that is, it would have been a fairly largeish kitchen. So, you might have had some good toys to play around with. Yeah, for sure, several kitchens. So, yes. you know, Japanese, Chinese <gasps> production. Awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, there was a lot. There was a lot going on there through to fine dining as well. So. Oh, that's a yeah, great that apprenticeship. Mm, mm. Four hundred room, four hundred plus room hotel with. Huge amenities, koala sanctuaries and <laughs> <laughs> things like that, you know, crazy. Yeah, good. Uh, yeah, and, and I think a 36-hole golf course. So good, yeah. good to look at, not so good on the plate. And keep the way, <laughs> well, keep went, the way from we, the koalas. Exactly. The yeah, we don't do sure. that. So um, you, you left that and uh, you, you went overseas for a while. Uh, I moved to Melbourne yes. uh, for a little while and then went over to London yeah, you're for in, you're four in years. Yeah. Well, where were you cooking in London? Uh, a few gastro pubs over there and a place called Tom Aikens. And you yes. know, it, was, it was good fun. What did you think of London? That was great. That yes. was great. I really enjoyed it. I was there four years, got to do a lot of travel, which was mm. fantastic. It's so easy to travel from London. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> God, yeah, Eurostar to Paris. And yeah. Before you know, yeah, yeah. But what do you think <coughs> here in Melbourne mm. with this region that we inhabit, you know, we've got this sort of food bowl around mm. us. The UK is kind of different in that they have to have longer arms, shall we say, to get the food stuff. And it was interesting when you go into the supermarkets that you see stuff, and it's from all over Europe and a lot of Africa too, isn't it? So ingredients-wise, how would you um, contrast that with what we've got going over here? I think we're, we're pretty spoiled here, aren't we? You know, mm. like, like you said, we can just 
we can get everything from our doorsteps. I mean, you see yep. this if you go to a, 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 a farmer's market on the weekend, you know, mm. throughout the year, there's yes. so much brilliant produce that you can work with without having to reach out, you know, too far away. So, yeah, I mean, we're so lucky. And, and then, yeah. The yeah. produce here is it's amazing. Yeah, mm. it, it is. Although the, I, I guess maybe because of London being this humongous megalopolis, if that's a word, <laughs> is that a word? Um, a big place um, that it has such a big reach all yep. around the world, and yep. and it really, really does. When you were there, is it is it possible for mere mortals to go out and eat well? Because the one thing I remember when I did go to London, I thought, Jesus, everything's so expensive. Yeah, look, it's like everywhere. You find your places you can go, yes. and you can go and eat cheaply. Yes. And there are some fantastic places that are really cheap. Mm. Mm. So it's all about finding them. Mm. In, yeah, local knowledge, I guess. Yeah, so, local knowledge mm. and <laughs> the knowledge of, uh, <laughs> of food. But yeah. um, so you got uh, invited to join the... Did you get headhunted to the Arbery, or did you apply? What happened? Uh, look, I was, I was working in Melbourne. I'd just finished up on a job, and then yeah. um, I thought I'd take a bit of time off. Um and they, they were advertising in the paper. I sort of I went for an interview and sort of just hit it off, you know. A couple of interviews later, yeah. down on site before it was built, it was fantastic. It would have been such yeah. a great thing but, to be a I part mean, of from the ground floor. Yeah, the guys had a fantastic vision that opened it. So, you know, through the interview process, you see that. And when mm. you see that with people, you're sort of like, well, I want to work here. This is I, good. I want to be part of this. This is yeah. going to be good. Yeah. And so um, how does it work? You've got um, the, the, You've got this... It's different from most places in the fact that it's this long X Y axis of a kind of a place, isn't it? Yeah. Does, look, does that have difficulties in it's, in getting food to the punters? It's 130 meters. So yes. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. You know. Yeah. So um, you must have um, uh, waiters and and food carriers with very strong legs. Lots of food runners, and they do yeah. a fantastic run, job. Run, you know? run. Sometimes sixteen thousand steps a day. <laughs> oh, so really? It's good for their health. But, yeah, um, you know, it's hey. yeah, it, it works really well. Um, Keeps those Apple Watch circles going. Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. And it, it's a it's a high volume, fast paced service as well. So it's all quite quick. Yeah. You know. So. And long services too. My God. Yeah. Look, we we don't stop. We start at we start at seven thirty in the morning for breakfast. <gasps> And then we move into lunch at 11, and then that goes all the way and through until close. And we might, I mean, on a, on a busy summer's night, we might close at 1am, or we do close at 1am. Whoa. Yeah. So, long trading hours, open every day of the year. If you're cooking and you need to go to the loo or something like that. <laughs> Could everybody just stop for a second? I go to the loo. That's not going to happen. But um, uh, Beer Week is coming upon us. Um, we had the uh, the impressively named Miro Bellini, um, who came in, um, that was last week, I think, to chat about Good Beer Week. You've got an event um, coming on that's, uh, and it's, it's linking... Four great chefs, yourself included, with um, four great brewers and doing food and beer. And I thought maybe it might be just a good thing to talk about food and beer. Over yeah. to you, Nick. Sounds great. Take it away. Yeah. Well, well the event the event will be fantastic. We have, you know, we've got four really cool chefs. Mm-hmm. Um, Matt Stone from Oak Ridge. We've got Renee Trudeau from um, Little Latin Lucy in mm-hmm. Paradise Alley. Yeah. Um, and we've got Troy Wheeler, who's who's our butcher, mm-hmm. our butcher for Arbery. So he's going to do a dish as well, which will be fantastic. Yes. And um, it's matching with beer. So I think a lot of us have taken the approach of using beer in the dish, and mm-hmm. some of us have actually taken the approach of not using beer in it, just doing something that... 
suits beer. Will, will work with beer. With beer, yeah. Yeah, yeah so it'll, it'll be a really great day. Because it's been for years and years and years and years, and I was saying this last week, and sorry if you were listening last week, you go, Cam, you're repeating yourself, but it's true. For Forever we, we talked about, you know, what wine goes with that, what mm. wine goes with that, and beer was never even thought of or even really associated with food for ages, and yet with the new flavours and palates that are coming out, it is so valid, isn't it? Oh, definitely. And you, you, you see it a lot more now. I mean, even <clears throat> in fine dining restaurants, a lot of their tasting menus with matched wine mm. will have a beer in there at some stage, which is great. Yeah. You know, so it's really showcasing beer mm. and food and that it does match. And, you know, it's, it's, it's great to do because it does match. You know, you, you can match cheese and beer. That's a really good example. It's you know, you can go a lighter cheese with a lighter beer or a really sort of heavy blue cheese with a darker beer. Because when you drink a beer and it fills your mouth with flavour, it's sort of a lot of the times there's sort of there's two main sort of things going on, isn't there, when you think about it. The bittering agent that's in the beer, the hop, which is the herb which adds that bitterness to it, and then the malt, maltodextrins. Anyway, uh, whatever. Uh, but malt, and that's that, sort of that mouth-filling sweetness that sort of comes in, isn't it? Yeah. And yeah, so you get that intense hit of sweetness at the start, I think. Mm. Um, obviously, at the tip of your tongue. Yep. Um, and the bitterness from the end, which yep. is, uh, yeah, really good. And that sort of thing works so well with food. And as you just mentioned, like with cheese, oh, my God, it's just... It's a pretty complimentary thing, isn't it? Oh, definitely. Yeah, really good. You know, mm. another example is uh, fried food. Yes. So something like, I mean, fried whitebait or fish and chips or something, a beer with that is fantastic because it just washes that fat, mm. I find. And you were doing your own little Julie Andrews list, which I happened to peek <laughs> and have a look at. I'm sorry, Nick. Uh, but one of the things you did talk about, which you said you loved with beer, was Mexican food, yeah? Yeah, definitely. Why definitely. Is, why does that work so oh, well? I mean, just it's a nice light Mexican <coughs> beer goes so well with it. I mean, if you get something a little bit spicy, it's okay. Mm. You know, you can enjoy it. Where, where I find spice can really ruin the wine experience for me. Yes. Yeah. I'm not an expert, though, at this, but that, it can ruin it for me. So, mm. yeah. But Mexican food, I mean, if it's it's really interesting to eat with, with beer. It's just, it's good. It's fun. It's simple. Well, Chilean mm. beer, I mean, Chilean wine... And we're not talking Chilean wine, just in case. No, chili and wine makes no sense. They don't go well together. The no. only thing that will work is if you, say, get a, um, a, a Gewürztraminer or something with a little bit of residual, sh- yeah. and then it, then it rocks. But beer and chili. Beer and chili, that <laughs> yeah. works. Can we talk? I mean, I mean, that just is fantastic. So um, for people at home, if they want to experiment with this, what do you suggest? Experiment, how do you mean? With, um, with just, a, just a great beer and food match oh. so that they go, you know what? Well, you know, so I don't know, maybe we have the, uh, is it the castle sort of, what do you call this, doll? <laughs> look, for it's me. It's Mexican food with beer. <laughs> yeah. yeah, look. Me, why, me, why would you ever go out? <laughs> Sorry. Go yeah, me, me, definitely Mexican food with beer. Cheese with beer is another fantastic one. It works really well. Mm. Um, and fried dishes, like I said, they just work really well with beer. Yeah. Yes. So, um, any idea what you're going to be doing for Sunday? Have you got um, uh, any of the others told you what they're going to be? Uh... Yeah. Yeah. There's going to well, there's going to be um, some mussels, some white bait, so there'll be some nice seafood. Yes. Um, there'll be Troy, obviously being a butcher, is going to make, I think, a boudin blanc at the moment. So, so that's a sausage. A isn't sausage. It? Yeah, yeah. yeah. A nice pork sausage, and I think we're probably going to use the yoda, which is our uh, 
barbecue that we have at Abu. Oh, right. Yes, yeah, okay. so a Yoda not, smoker. Not a Star oh, it's a char- Wars character. A, a charcoal grill. <laughs> Beer and food, you say? Yeah. No, no, we're not, not going to What's a Yoda? Uh, it's, it's an American charcoal wood smoker. Or big. charcoal grill. Yeah. So it's a it's a big ass thing. It's big. Yeah, it's okay. cast iron. Two. How many people are you expecting down there? Uh, I, I think we're catering for about one twenty. Oh, so, okay. So, so not not stupid. Big. Is no. there still tickets available? There is. Yes, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how much? Uh, Eighty dollars. Is that good value, Matt? I would say that's reasonably good value. The valueometer. Yeah. <laughs> the Matt valueometer. <laughs> Matt says. That's on, wait, so how do I buy? Do I go to Google? Yeah, uh, yeah. Look, you can get them straight through Good Beer Week or straight through Arbery. Yes. So, yeah, goodbeerweek.com.au or ivory.com.au. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Um, before we do go, uh, mush- have you been getting many mushrooms yet? Yeah, we have. Have they started? Yeah, they've started, yeah. yeah. So the pines yeah. are here? Yeah, pines are in. Slipperies are just starting to come through. Yes. Yeah. I've seen a few grey ghosts around as well, which is another variety. Grey ghosts? Grey ghosts. I don't think I've had a grey ghost. That's a great ghost? name, isn't it? Yeah, grey uh, ghosts. Well, they're a little grey mushroom. With, um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, a whitish underside. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah very good. And yes. um, pine mushrooms, so have you got a favourite way of producing those? Because oh. they can be a bit tricky for people, I reckon. Look. They, they they're, look they're so good. incredible. They, yeah. they, if you haven't seen them, they're the bright orange uh, harbingers of, uh, of autumn. Yeah. Um, obviously grow symbiotic relationship. Pine trees, what are you cooking? Look, they're, they're beautiful, just, just sautéed, just a little salt, pepper, thyme and garlic. Thyme. Simple, nice Resiny and simple. Resiny herbs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, maybe even rosemary or in that sort of yeah. area. Yep. And another way, smoking them and then preserving them or smoking them and pickling them is, yeah. is really nice. Yeah. yeah, right. Really great flavour. But you've got to get your balances right. You've because, got to get um, your balances, your I, sugar, your salt. I yeah. did a little thing of pickled mushrooms from Maddie here, but I didn't mm. put any sugar in there and it's... Uh, mm. We need to fix that up. But you don't have to do that. Um, congratulations with uh, your work at the Arbury. Cheers. Um, looking forward to being a part of that next Sunday. Yeah. That's going to be really, really good. Oh, who are the, did we mention the uh, the brewers that are going to be there? Uh, yeah, look, it, it's it's Bolter, <coughs> yep. uh, Two Birds. Two Birds, fantastic. Yeah, and uh, Stomping Ground from uh, Collingwood. And a Pirate so, Life coming as well? Ah, uh, sorry, Pirate Life as well. Yeah, there are, I, don't, I haven't had Pirate Life, which um, I'm looking forward to seeing. All that. great brewers and all great beers, so. So, and uh, again, if um, advice for people, if they want to pair um, some food stuff with beer, one of the things you mentioned was um, maybe some cheese, maybe yep. a cheddar with an ale or something yep. like that. Yeah, that'd be great. A blue cheese with a dark a dark beer. Mm. Yep. <laughs> Nick, uh, looking forward to it, buddy. Thank you great. for your time. It is 12.37 here on 3 Triple RFM. Hannah Dupre is uh, waiting in the green room. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the makings of tea and uh, the makings of the mapping of the genome of tea. Is it a good thing or a bad thing? We'll discuss. 12.42 here on 3 Triple RFM. How's your Sunday going, folks? It's autumn. It certainly is, and uh, one of the things I love to do when it gets cold is to have a, well, let's face it, actually, I like drinking tea most of the times of the year, but I don't know, <laughs> there's something that makes it a little bit more special when it gets a little bit cooler, and we've got Hannah Dupre from Storm in a Teacup. Welcome back. Hello. Good to have you back <laughs> here. You How you been? Thank you for having me. Great, great. How about you? No complaints here. Great. <laughs> That's good. Just as well. <laughs> Thank God, here at 12.43 on a, on a Sunday was, uh, we'd be have a, a slight diversion, but we're here to talk about tea, and you've started us off by just grabbing a little bit of hot water from uh, a very lovely, uniquely painted thermos that I see here, 
and you've just thrown some water on some leaves and then given us three of the most exquisite cups I've seen. What do you got here? <laughs> what is this beautiful offering that you've um, started this off with? This is a, um, a pu'er tea from Yunnan in southern China. How do we spell that? P-U-E-R. P-U-E-R. Or P-U-E-R-H. Mm-hmm. It just depends on who's, who's translating. Who's doing what? Um, it's a tea that's made by the Yi and the Dai tribes from Yunnan. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is a cooked pu'er. So there's two types of pu'er, raw pu'er and cooked pu'er. This is a cooked pu'er. Mm-hmm. Particularly fabulous at this time of year. Yes, and all you people out there, stop sniggering. <laughs> all right, just stop that. <laughs> stop your snigger. I know what you're doing. <laughs> right, pu'er. Yeah. Um, is, um, so it's so funny. Like when I started the business, that was really funny, and it's just so become I, I don't even realise that you thought it was funny. <laughs> I didn't. I was just. I was just thinking of the others out there doing that. Um, so this is a fermented. This is a black leaf. Uh, it's a fermented tea. It's not a black leaf. Yes. Um, so it is. It is a. Uh, a so cooked, cooked pu'er. The, mm. There's a raw pu'er. It's a slow fermentation. Yes. Um, this is a cooked pu'er. So, it, like after it's processed, very similar to a green tea, mm. it is put into a pile and it essentially composts. Uh-huh. And that composting um, imitates the um, long age process of the raw pu'er. So this you gotcha. get old tasting tea, new. Yes. Quickly. Um, it's not doesn't really do it very well. Yes. But what they've learned how to do is make cooked pu'er really, really good. Very, yeah. very smart. Because let's see, the, first of all, the, the basis of tea is Camellia sinensis, uh, which is, uh, well, it's, it's, it's it, shrub. Tree. Tree, thank you. Um, and then from those leaves you get all these different things depending on what you do with the leaves, correct? Exactly, yep. Exactly. That's, sort of, that's the basic classification. So you've got white, you've got green, you've got black, you've got oolong. And pu'er. I've missed it. And pu'er. <laughs> Don't think it's that poo word. <laughs> <coughs> what are we smelling here and tasting, and why is this? Uh, why do you why do you like this, and why did you d- decide to bring this to share with us? Um, mostly because of the time of year. Mm. Um, it's it's rich, it's full bodied, it's chocolatey, it's got sort of mushroomy flavours. It's in almost there. a coppery, coloury, yeah. sort of beautiful brown that yeah. sort of evokes the season so beautifully absolutely, too. Absolutely, absolutely, um, and it has a warming chi. Mm-hmm. In Chinese medicine, so it is actually good and warming for the system. Gotcha. Yep. Um, highly unusual flavours and highly unusual aromas for the Western palate. Um, but once you get into it, what do you think, Matt? You like it? I dig it. Um, it's I'm digging it. I think my um, it's not challenging me too much. I think it's great. My so my journey in tea, I guess, is the same as most sort of skipping Australians. Journey in tea. Well, you start. I see a road, but you start at aisle. <laughs> what does the road look like? Mate? At aisle three yeah. in the supermarket. Oh. Right? <laughs> With the box of a hundred tea bags, but that, and that's what that's what tea is for 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 most of us skippies. And so, yeah, when you get out of the bright lights of the supermarket and you come and taste something like this, so this is a, a really it's a it's it's still quite delicate. It's very it's less tannic than you know your traditional. I won't even use a brand name, but one of those things that you find in the supermarket. But mm. um, yeah, it's beautiful. It's nice and complex, and um, yeah, for this time of year, it's got a really good body to it. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. I guess we've learned from you, and I think. It's a great moment in my life, Hannah. I still remember it was so goddamn profound when you had your your studio, which was at the gateway of uh, the People's Republic of Northcote. Yes. <laughs> and, um, and you made me matcha. And it was really quite an astounding thing, for first of all, for another human being to go into this ritual yeah. of making it. 
um, and maybe you can just quickly describe it. Yeah, we've got time for that. But also the different the, – as, as I once said to you, and I said it's sort of like two horses pulling at different spectrums. There was the caffeine and then there's the thing that makes tea kind of chilled out and you'll tell what it is. But then you said, no, Cam, it's like the two horses going together. <laughs> but much – it was yeah. beautiful and that was so far away, as you say, Matt, from aisle three – of the thing. Um, first of all, what, what are those two things that are in matcha tea that are so complementary? It's not just matcha tea, it's all ah, tea, so all yes. Camellia sinensis. Um, mm. Caffeine and L-theanine or tannine. L- L-theanine. It's an amino acid. You got that, it's a calming compound. Yeah. Yep. And that's what makes it so different from coffee because Absolutely. coffee is about the big jolt, um, you know, and uh, can be a little bit unsettling. Yep. But tea, even though it gives you this... Ooh, kick along, but it still sort of chills you out while you do it too. Yeah, it's the perfect drink. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, and and matcha especially is is awesome for that. Yeah, because you actually consume the powdered, like you consume the whole leaf with matcha. It's it's mm. the, the leaf is ground very on granite to a powder, yep. and then you whisk bright that green. into the tea. Absolutely bright green. If mm. matcha is not bright green, it's oxidized and, and throw it away. Throw it away. Or bring it back to the person who sold it to you and, and tell slap them, them put them it, it in the fridge. Yes. Storing tea. <laughs> yeah, so, and, uh, yeah, tea, how do we store tea? Because um, for most of us, they just stick the tea bags. I was looking at you, Matt, but you were busy writing <laughs> no, it's, down it's, there. It's, and, and there's no shame in it. It's, it's no, the, it's just no, the no way there's anything wrong with it. The majority of us still consume <laughs> yeah, tea, exactly. even though I know, Hannah, you yeah. would recommend very much against any kind of tea bag. Mm. Oh, look, I mean, tea bags have their place. Right. Yeah. Tea bags absolutely have their place. You can get some really good tea in some tea bags. Pyram- lots of pyramid tea bags are actually really good. Um, Just don't talk about I don't like the, them, the infusers. But, but they're they're, they're really get. good. So, you know, That's right. We, we went down the infuser path last yeah, yeah. time, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. yeah not there. No, don't. <laughs> and... and, and your idea about the infuser is that it just gets too crowded in there, exactly, doesn't it? That, exactly, that was right. exactly. It just gets too crowded. And doesn't like there's no interaction between water and tea leaf. That's mm. why the pyramid tea bag is actually okay because the tea, most of the tea can actually expand out in, inside of it and move around it and move around and move around it. So um, uh, yeah, so uh, we were on storage of tea. How should you store tea? So matcha specifically, um, because it's powdered, um, the it oxidizes really really quickly and the two things that i mean oxidizing is oxygen mm. um so air so when you buy matcha make sure if you open the packet you seal it straight away back up again as quickly as you possibly can yep. and store it in the fridge yep um because the heat also um degrades the, the quality of the tea massively gotcha. so matcha people selling tea people buying tea please store it in the fridge mm-hmm. um really really important um cafes making tea put your matcha in the fridge Cafes, you listening? <laughs> Put your tea in the fridge. Not your tea, just matcha. Oh, just, just matcha. matcha. Just the okay. matcha. Yeah. Um, other teas. Leaves. Tea leaves. So um, airtight. Airtight. Thank you. Um, sort of, you know, not too hot, not too cold. Mm. Just even temperature. So find a cupboard Goldilocks. somewhere in your kitchen. Exactly. You want Goldilocks. Goldilocks. Big Goldilocks. Big Goldilocks. Big Goldilocks. Goldilocks within. Yeah. yeah. Um, and. Ah. Um, Amber jars or, or tins as well. Don't oh, not, light not amber made out of <laughs> the precious. I want one of those. That, I want them too. Yeah, I want an amber <laughs> jar. That'd be awesome. Uh, because we're talking about the light spectrum yep. too. Yeah, exactly. It's the same with beer. That uh, the green uh, the green bottles. 
uh, your beer can get light struck, and I imagine that can happen yeah, with tea I as well. I did not know that. Absolutely. I know that it happens with tea, but I didn't know about beer. That's great. Well, that's why, uh, that's why a lot of uh, most beer you'll find is in brown glass, mm-hmm. except for some of the, um, you know, the Mexicans. I was going to ask, so if I yes. was storing my coffee beans, you can get those little little wanky sort of vacuum things where you pump the air out of the coffee beans and then they sit sort of in stasis or yeah. whatever. Would that be <laughs> coffee stasis? Coffee stasis. I like that. Would that be a benefit for tea? Yeah, as well? That'd be for great for tea. So it's that'd probably be, be a good thing tea. to get the air out of there if you yeah, could. Yeah, if you can, mm. absolutely. You, but I mean, with things like white tea and some green teas, they're very delicate the leaves. So I don't know how much that would pressurise mm. or, or the, what the vacuum would do to the quality of the leaf inside of that. I'm not sure. Mm, might freak it out. Might freak it. Out. Now, freak it out. And speaking of freaking it out, um, the genome of tea. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Whoa. Change your face from Hannah. Um, some people could say it's uh, it's a great thing. Um, what are your thoughts? I mean, okay. So, the scientists who have come through, um, they've been studying it for about five years. They've worked out that the genome tea so far as um, uh, the genome goes is about four times larger than coffee so it's there's a lot of molecules and things going on there what are your thoughts i'm not a scientist no never right so well, that makes three of us right know, man um, yeah. i don't understand genetic engineering <coughs> mm-hmm. um and i i this like i found out about this yesterday so mm. um i haven't done my research um, no we've, we've just we've just sort of <laughs> skimmed it um it it's, um, is this one of these things that maybe we look at? Why are you just getting your thoughts yeah. together, Hannah? Is that, you know, we are the sum, humanity is the sum of the knowledge and wisdom. Maybe those two things don't go together too well. But it goes towards the knowledge of who we are, what the world is around us, and defining that world. Can that be a good thing? Is that a good thing or a good place to start yeah, to say this is yeah. this is going towards uh, humanity's wisdom? I, totally. Look, science is a really you know is valid. Totally valid. It's, totally it's, valid. it's a worldview and it's a way of looking at the world and it's a way of seeing the world. It's a way of discovering things about the world. But it, it doesn't take into account other worldviews mm. and other ways of seeing things and other ways of knowing things. Mm. Um, and. That, that, that's what upsets me about science. Like, I mm. love science and, and, and I'm very interested in science. My brother is a scientist and, um, you know, it, it's, it's absolutely valid. It's very, very important. And, you know, I'm personally, I, I, you know, if I had to say if I'm for or against genetic engineering, I'd probably say I'm against genetic engineering. But I'm also aware that they've, you know, done some really amazing stuff in, like, disease control and pest control and, you know, increasing nutritional value in food. Like, I, I understand that there is a or growing, some good so stuff crops behind in it. marginal agricultural areas, exactly, for instance. Exactly, exactly. But then there's the earth, you know, and, and are we supposed to be growing crops in those marginalised, like, you know, places where agriculture maybe shouldn't be? Mm-hmm. Um, and with relation to tea, like... There isn't nutritional benefit in tea, so it, you're not going to be upping that with the genome. They're, they're, it's true. already a pest-resistant <coughs> crop. Yep. So, and that's the good old caffeine. That's one of the things that that's makes found the, out in the yeah, well, yeah, we did. We did. <laughs> and, and that's it. Uh, caffeine is sort of put into um, plants as almost like an early warning and to um, freak uh, insects out mm. when they when they mm. eat it. But mm. Okay, so this sort of seems to me that uh, this this study, which took about five years to do it, is really about understanding the taste of teas 
and through understanding the genome, maybe being able to... Um, I think they're just wanting to be able to put less effort into the processing of tea in the factory to be able to mass-produce more tea that is, like, supposedly tastes better, um, which means they'll be taking less care in their agriculture and their farming, and they'll be, you know, having to... Farmers will have to spend more money on pesticides and fertilisers, and the chemicals that come with the thing is my... Feeling so about it. Not so using their powers for good. Not uh, using their powers for good is what I think will probably happen with that. I've seen the way tea is mass produced in China and it's pretty scary. In what way? Um, Why is it scary? Well, you Cause, know. Because tea plantations themselves are some, one of the most glorious, gorgeous looking things. They are, aren't they? but they're a monoculture. You know, they are completely they are, they're absolutely a monoculture. They're a monoculture. Yeah, and you know, so, right you know, the. the ecosystems that exist around them and when they're huge yes. the the buffers of, of actual forest and, and animals and plants that, that can live in an ecosystem are a long 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 way away from the centre of that so your earth, like your soil quality degrades so rapidly in the middle of, of, of plantations that mm. you know the long term sustainability of tea is, is sort of undermined and mm. you know if they can and, and like the, what happens is the soil degrades, is the flavour and the quality of the tea degrades, and so if they're working out how they can so this grow is even bigger like things, terroir. You're talking. This oh, is what the, the French talk about terroir with their uh, an expression of the of the area through the produce in yeah. this case, and it's also the relationship of the people who grow the tea. Like that's why, like small, like you know, this tribal tea that we're drinking today comes from this tiny, incredible mountain that you know people like the trees are 500 years old that that this tea is is made from. You've spoken about this before, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah, you have. I remember. I'm yep. just remembering now. Yes. So that's something special and should be cherished, which yep. you, obviously you're you're doing. And you're saying that, well, maybe the jury's not out yet, but there are things that we really should I'm be really concerned. Yep. You're concerned. Yeah. Because you did. You sent me an email yesterday. I went, this is scary. I did. I went, oh, <laughs> I went, oh really? <laughs> Um, okay. Yeah. So if people want to look this up and uh, follow this, I, I suppose just T-Genome will happen. It's only just happened, folks. Um, I just sort of got a notification. I think it was the BBC came through a couple of days ago that told me about this. But it's going to have interesting, well, yeah, interesting times for yeah. tea, yeah. you could yeah, say. Totally. Um, interesting times of tea locally, though. The Melbourne Tea Festival is on on the 20th of May, which is really, really exciting. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah, yeah. I think um, breakfasters are going to be uh, handling cool. that and doing that. So, But cool, uh, cool, cool. rather than uh, go over what they're going to talk about, yeah. and all that, so where is it just for just... It's at the Melbourne Exhibition <coughs> Centre down on the South Bank. South Bank? South Wharf? What is it? Uh, South Wharf, yeah, across the road from the, the, the Packers Money Bin. Check, yes. Check, check, check. Yeah, that's the yeah, one. Yeah. Where the, where the house always wins yeah. and you'd be a bloody idiot, <laughs> yeah, wouldn't you? Yeah. Hey? Yeah. We, we, we all know that. We, we all know that here. Um, favourite, other than this one, favourite tea at the moment to be drinking? Um, big Red Rope. Again, another oolong from... Old, amazing. And what is spaces. oolong? Oolong, um, semi-fermented tea. Semi. Yeah, oh, not fermented. Oh, I can't believe I said oh, that. Snap. Oxidized. Oh, <laughs> oh. Trouble. Partially oxidized tea. Yeah. 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 And um, of course, you. We need to give you a plug and and your business. Storm in a teacup. How is that all going? It's great. It's, it's great. Good. It's going good. Lots do, of workshops, lots of ceremonies. How do people find out? What do they go? Website. Website. That's the best, the best place for all of that. Mm. Um, and then the other super, super cool thing that's coming up is I'm doing tea ceremony at Dark Mofo. 
as part I of the know. winter feast. That is a great coup. How would you get did that gig? I, I was approached by the wonderful Hand Joe hunted. Cook, and it was really? a very, 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 very big honour. Very exciting. And tea is like a big part of what they're doing there, which is like Accolade. so exciting. Yeah, that's really good. And when, when Stark Mofo? Um, from I think it's the, it's the coldest part of winter to the twenty first of June. Yeah, runs, June. June, yeah, runs up to the winter solstice. Six to twenty first. Yes, yes, it's in the cold part of water. And what a great time to be down in Tasmania. Yep. Well, <laughs> congratulations. All right, well, maybe what we should do is we'll see. We'll let the jury come out and maybe we'll talk a little bit more about this genome thing in the months. Great. Come out. But come and tell us about Dark Mofo. Though. Yeah, kind of I'd love to. All right, 12.59 and 35 seconds. We're looking good for we're, Tracy Hutchins. We're looking at our Sunday lunches up next. Yes. Ne- next week, you're not going to be here. You're going to be down at um, the Arbury, as we just discussed. So yes. We'll <clears throat> cobble something together, I'm sure. No, I've got uh, Jay Raynor, um, oh. uh, an interview with one of the great food critics. And uh, also, we have a chat about what I was doing up in Gippsland, looking at some new uh, innovative uh, plant things. Mm. Uh, wasabi Rocket. Awesome. What? Wasabi, Wasabi Rockets. Rocket. One o'clock. We got to go. Who's on uh, with uh, with Tracy? Uh, Tracy Hutchinson on Sunday lunch, and we'll find out shortly. David Mann, I think it is. Oh, I think you might big, be right. Big. Thanks for coming in, Hannah. Thank you. Thank you. Stay tuned. See you next week. Don't go away. This has been a podcast from Three Triple R One Hundred Two Point Seven FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.